My name is William Chernoff, and today on the Rhythm Changes podcast, I present my conversation with Ilhan Safarali. Ilhan is at the center of what I consider to be Vancouver jazz Gen Z culture. He's a trumpet player, piano player, event promoter, graphic designer, and beat maker, among many other things, and he's one of the most well-connected and driven young musicians I know in this city. Looking back on 2020, I haven't had the pleasure of seeing Ilhan nearly as often as I would have expected, so we caught up for a Zoom conversation. Please enjoy our chat. So Ilhan, I'd love to begin with some context around Vancouver jazz in general. I thought a solid place to begin would be you describing the Memorial Jazz Space. What was the Memorial Jazz Space? It's like one of those things that like words can't describe. It was like essentially this jazz club that sold frozen pizza bagels out of a microwave in the back and just had like tons of people crammed into this loft like this over 100 year old loft in East Hastings on East Hastings where like young people would just go to listen to young people play jazz and I think that was the coolest thing I've ever done in my life like just having organized that that has to be like some of my most fond memories. I will never forget that. Like that had to be the coolest thing I've ever done, really. It was, yeah, it was just this this makeshift jazz bar that somehow people kept finding out about. And, you know, for a while it was only through word of mouth and like Facebook events and and people came and it people played music and it was just it was the purest it was the most pure form i've felt here in vancouver i've i've seen of like a a sharing of love and and passion for this music because there's a, people didn't come for the food um people didn't come for the drinks people didn't obviously didn't come for the ambiance or vibe i mean it was like a freaking loft in the middle of nowhere people just came for the music and to have a great time coolest thing ever what did it feel like and look like when you walked in i mean when i walked in when i first saw the space when i first saw the spot i was like why isn't this a jazz club this is perfect for one it felt I mean, when things were going regularly, it felt like the coolest thing ever. I mean, I would, I'd get a ride from my, from my dad. Usually, um, I'd show up an hour early, um, and I would come in, I would open up, uh, first thing I do, turn the heaters on, set the tables, you know, stock the fridge with water, like literally anything a, a usual owner of a small business would do. I'd set up, you know, do the lights, band would load in, do sound check. About half an hour after, we'd start playing. Yeah. You released a collective trio EP in 2019, and you crossed this group over into several venues for indie pop and rock music in Vancouver, and I find that rare and impressive in this community. What is the story of this group? So, uh, Raf, Julian, and I are friends. We've been playing together since we were in high school, and we were playing together at the VSO School of Music. That's where we met um, in the big band program they had there, and we just sh- shared a mutual love of music and and passion for for playing jazz. And so we, you know, we realized that we 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 connect well and we play well together. And then we just started this group. 
and then we were looking for places to play. And I mean, this kind of music, hard to get, I mean, it's hard for any young musician to get booked at a place like Frankie's or, you know, Tangent for good reason, because the standard of playing is very high, you know, to, to go into Frankie's, um, really need to know what you're doing. And we weren't just there, you know, we're just not there yet. So um, I had played in like an indie band. Well, it was more like a funk band that was on the indie scene in Vancouver. And so I knew all the people booking and I played at the venues before. And I was like, oh, let's just do it. I mean, this music's cool. Why not? Like, let's just do it. And people really liked it. And so, you know, we were like playing with Club Sofa and stuff. And like, it, we were just playing jazz. It was funny. Like, um, you know, we had a show one time. I think like, I don't know who else we played with. Like we, we played for, we opened for Club Sofa once. Um, and yeah, so the demographic of people there was like, not jazz listeners per se, but I mean, it was cool. You know, it was fun. I started to play music because of a strong community of high school classmates and because of my band teachers. What were the social factors that supported your development as a jazz musician? The VSO School of Music, their programs there that they had um, really fostered a love for and a love and a, and a and a passion for for sharing music with others um because at my high school that i grew up i didn't really i didn't like the high school that i grew up in i didn't have a lot of peers that shared that love like that it wasn't a huge it wasn't like end up where you went or kss it wasn't like that i was kind of the only one i had a buddy who was like like me as well but to get to know other young musicians similar to me in age um, who shared a passion for the music was was mostly through the VSO. Um, I don't think I would be playing, continue to be playing music if it wasn't for them, really, like that organization, that school. Um, I think I, I owe really everything to the program there um, and the summer camps. Most like the, That's where I started meeting friends was in the summer camps they have. It was a week or two weeks. I started off doing a week and then I gradually progressed to doing two weeks. And then I was a TA a couple of years ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's really the biggest thing I can say. If we double click on that and go deeper into it, I agree that one of the factors for me was going to the 2010 Douglas College Summer Jazz Intensive. Go into a little bit more about this kind of summer program for those who aren't initiated in it and what it offers people like you and me who are learning jazz so i did douglas as well i did the douglas summer camp uh i met some of my great greatest friends there um i met my first girlfriend at douglas i i met brad turner there for the first time which was really an important kind of stepping stone in like my musical education and um i'm a huge fan of brad and i he's someone that i look up to immensely um, and an incredible, incredible role model for me. Um, and, and just like having to spend a week with him, um, kind of showing everyone, just seeing him play really, like there was the faculty concerts and just seeing him play and, and do his thing and talk about music was like, I mean, I was 14. I was super in my head. I don't think I understood much of what he was saying at the time, but I took notes and now when I look back at them, I really understand what he was talking about. 
Um, and so for anyone who hasn't done a camp like that, uh, pretty much what entails of it is like, it's like usually a week or two weeks. I mean, two weeks is a stretch. I've done two week ones, but typically a week, uh, depending on your age group. I mean, Douglas was, was more geared towards younger musicians. Um, and, and, you know, you have your, your work workshop, what would you call it? Like a clinic, um, I don't know, master class, master class of your own instrument that, you know, everyone who plays your instrument is with the, with the teacher. For me, it was broad because I was on, on trumpet. You have a combo. What else? You got improv, improv workshops, usually faculty concerts where the faculty of the camp plays for you. And it was a similar thing at VSO as well. It was almost the same thing, except I was in a big band at the VSO as well, where I started playing in big bands. Um, so... Yeah, yeah, that, that's typically what a, a typical, you know, jazz summer camp in BC entails. I haven't done too many other ones here. Like, I know there's the one in, in IMC or something like that. Um, and then Phil Dwyer had one on the island, which was like a cooking, culinary, and, and jazz one. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that th those are similar. Um, and it's a great way for young musicians, like, to, to start getting into it. I, like, encourage any high school musician or even young, I was younger when I started, I wasn't even high school yet, but any younger musician who's like kind of getting into jazz and, you know, it's like, oh, I really like this. Go do one of those summer camps. Like it's totally worth it. Um, and it really propels you forward. Like the one, those like one weeks, I feel like those short week span spans of time, like those short spans of time throughout a week, I think I've grown more and learned more in those than I have like, you know, over months. Did you also take private lessons with Brad? Brad and I have done a few lessons, yeah. I mean, he's he's an incredibly busy guy, um, as anyone probably knows who knows Brad. You know, he's a he's a very busy guy, and he's been generous enough to um, give me some lessons throughout um, my my high school years um, a couple times, um, which I'm super grateful for. Um, yeah, I, I I really enjoy. Um, working with Brad and just listening to him to talk about music. And he gives, you know, great, great advice. You're a multi-instrumentalist, but I discovered your trumpet playing first in this community. Any thoughts to share on playing piano in your post-secondary education beyond just trumpet? Yeah. Um, I mean, I love both and hate both at the same time. It's a love-hate relationship. Any musician knows that, you know, they have a love-hate relationship with their instrument. Um, Playing the piano is something like I, I played the piano since I was young, like a lot of people. But I I just love playing the I just love the piano and how it works and and how I just I just love I love piano. Um, I love trumpet as well, but I'm like very intrigued about the intricacies of piano playing and the technique of playing the piano and um playing the piano helps me see things in my head when playing the trumpet, which I didn't really realize up until a couple of years ago. Um, because like when I'm improvising, like a lot of the time I just see like the, the voicings or like the chords in my head. And I, I think like horizontally um, that, cause that's how I see it like written out on paper and like, that's kind of how I see it on a keyboard. But through talking with other trumpet players, I've come to realize that, like, who don't play piano, like, have nothing to to go by when they're improvising. So I have no idea how they think, like, at all. Like, through describing other, like, th from hearing other trumpet players describe how they improvise, 
I have no idea how that works. I'm like, really? So I, I wouldn't say I think like a trumpet player um, improvising-wise. Um, I think more so like a piano player, and I see the piano, which I think I can relate to Brad on that on that front since, he, you know, he started piano first, and he's also a astounding piano player. Um yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting, and I love I love playing piano post post like like in my post secondary education. I love piano lessons. I didn't want to stop that. Can you come back to this fascinating idea of horizontal and vertical thinking about music and about seeing something in your head while you're playing? I don't think a lot of non musicians will know about that. Yeah, I mean, um, when you think about music in your head, especially improvising, everyone sees it differently. But I, I think the fact that I learned how to play piano first and I, I visually see intervals, I visually, because you don't see an interval when you're playing the trumpet. There isn't like you're, you're pressing buttons down on a piece of plumbing. Like there's, there's no visual there. That's, that's all in your head, how you see intervals, how you see chords built up. So people who don't really play piano or haven't really looked at a keyboard or played around with the piano don't like see the spacing in between the chords the same and so when i'm playing trumpet i'm like oh yeah like that's i i see the intervals in my head like i can see the divisions and the spaces between the notes differently than someone who's never seen that before so i think that I, that that is just a different way of thinking and it it i think it's an advantage i think i'm i, I think it's a cool thing to know how to do i think that's why everyone should learn how to play the piano it's because once you see those intervals that way, it becomes so much easier. And then guitar guitarists think differently. Like, like I was talking to my teacher at McGill, uh, Jean-Michel Pilk, about this, who's a fantastic pianist, by the way. And he was, we were both like, yeah, I don't know how guitar works. Like, I just don't understand it. Like, it's completely different. Like, the layout off of a fretboard and then these strings tuned in fourths, like, that's hard. That is that is hard. I can't do that. I can see a keyboard. This is a low note. If you keep going up, it just keeps going up until a high note. These are the intervals. You know, you go up by three, up by four. You know, these are like, I can understand that. So I would be interested to talk to a guitarist who plays trumpet and see how they think. And maybe that's something, I mean, I've fiddled around with the guitar before. I could probably get by on like a you know, on a jam session, a rock jam session or something like that. Like I know the bar chords and stuff, but I think something later down the line when I have some more free time to experiment musically would be to pick up guitar more in-depthly and just figure out how the fretboard system works. I I think it would kind of open up some musical doors for me and for anyone really who who's played piano and another instrument. I've heard that you have a certain thing about playing the jazz standard tangerine in the key of E flat major. What is this about? <laughs> um, that's uh, okay. So is that usually an F? Is that tune usually an F? Because I think Dexter plays it in F. I could be wrong or F or G or something like that. I played it in E flat um, because Chet played it in E flat. So that's the key I learned it in. And I think long time ago i might have lifted some of that solo so i was just playing it in e flat and then all my friends were playing it in e flat too because i showed them the record or they have made i think i was showing some people that record she was too good to me chet baker fantastic chet baker record um and so or they found it i don't know somehow 
all, a lot of my friends came across the same record and the same tune. That tune is beautiful how they play it. And um and so we were all just playing it in E flat and that's how we came along. Um but also through moving to Montreal with my friends who are from New York and Boston, when we play that tune we also play it in E flat. So I mean I should really learn that tune in other keys. Um but but yeah, I that's just from from hearing Chet play it and I went through a huge Chet phase when I was in like tenth grade. That's like all I listened to and all I wanted to uh, sound like so i guess just through listening to chat i was like oh okay i guess we're playing this in e-flat now it sounds pretty in e-flat too i like the way it sounds in e-flat i'm curious to go out of the deep music side for a second your thoughts on the state of online platforms this includes social media but also games and any other ways to communicate so at this time for you and your professional network, what are the most important of these digital places to be in? Every time I meet a jazz musician, like around my age or like in, in my like appear and they don't have Facebook, I'm like, yo, dude, you got to get on Facebook because I've gotten so many gigs just through Facebook messages or like I've networked through Facebook. I have got like I've found work through Facebook. I've given other people work through Facebook. I've like met people through Facebook. I've, you know, you like, you just, uh, people have seen gigs that I've done with other people or my own gigs through Facebook. Um, I don't know why that is, but I remember like when I started high school, like my buddy, David Hodgson was like, yo, you got to get on Facebook. Do you have Facebook? I'm like, no. And he's like, get Facebook. So he's the one who made me download it. (laughs) And so like, that's how it kind of started. I think Facebook's really important for all jazz musicians. I should say really important. I don't think any social media should be necessary. I like, I don't think it should be necessary in any artist or creatives, you know, toolbox. I think it helps like if you want to get gigs and stuff and you want to put yourself out there. But if that's not your main goal, I don't think it's necessary at all. I think at times it can be detrimental uh, depending on what kind of person you are. But I would say, you know, Facebook, I know a lot of people do like the Instagram thing. Uh, I've been like really inactive on my Instagram music account for a while and my Instagram Facebook like in my music account on Facebook for a while just because like I don't really know what I'm doing with it um people have like very very strategic ways of how they do their music accounts on social media and like oh I'm gonna post a lift or I'm gonna put myself out there and I don't really know what I'm, I'm doing honestly and so I just decided better to do nothing at all you know I don't need to do anything right now with that um that might change in a couple years when I need to be marketing myself but I'm in a I'm not in that and at that point yet in my career where I'm like need to be hammering stuff out on social media but as terms of like other platforms go I think like the internet can be a good place I mean like I love playing games with friends online when I can't see them especially during like March like April when we were at the stay during the stay at home order, like I had nothing to do. I can see friends. So we would just like play games online. Um, and that can be such a fun thing to do just to connect with friends that way. But at the same time, I think that like social media in general or other, other online platforms can be harmful. One over usage of it, um, which I'm guilty of. I think almost a, lo- a lot of people are guilty of unless they're strong enough to completely delete the app itself or like set timers on how long they use the app a day. But I think just in how we portray ourselves over social media, 
I I'm starting to like care less about what other people think of me on social media. And so like, I'll just post something cause I like it. I think it looks cool or I think it's funny. Like I, I don't, I think people at times, um, especially younger people can feel like very pressured to have a certain image, um, on social media, which is like really unfortunate, you know, like that really, that really, I wish, I really wish that that didn't have to happen. I wish like, you know, people could, it's weird. I wish like, and now we're getting completely off topic, but I wish we could just see each other for who we are and who we are as people, not who our, um, walls are on a, on a phone because truly who we are as people are not reflected through a, a phone screen. That's, I guess that's my outlook. I, it can be great. And I think, you know, it's a great tool for, for uh, everyone. The internet can be a great tool, learning tool, social tool, but it, it can be, you know, harmful. And I think we should all uh, take a step back at times and, and look at our usage on social media or on online platforms and start to analyze how we use it and, and who we are on, on, on these platforms. I interviewed a few teenage music students recently about a recording project, and many of them said that listening back to their work was unpleasant because they felt that they had gained some instrumental techniques since they recorded it. And one student called it, quote, noticing deficiencies in their playing, but they had recorded this project only a couple months ago. So any thoughts on being young and hearing your own technique change rapidly like that? I can definitely hear sometimes the differences like, Oh, look, I'm improving. Like, Oh, I hear something different here. Um, but I think Brad was the one who told me record yourself, listen back to it and be very critical about your own playing. Like that's the, that's the best teacher there. Like you are your best teacher. Like listen to it. And I think like something he told me was like, you know, you know, don't listen back and be like, Oh, I sound pretty good there. Like listen back to it and be like, boom, this is where I need to work on this part here. Like, this is where I screwed up. This is where I need to work on. Um, and like, if you spent like eight months just playing and recording yourself every day and writing down like time codes on where you think you could work on and then working on that, then doing another take, working on that, you know how rapidly someone would improve? Like, I don't have the personal willpower and energy to do that. I probably should. I should do that more because I could probably improve way faster if I did that. But I think like listening back and, and, and analyzing your own playing is like the most educational thing you can do. But the problem is like some people have performance anxiety. I have like recording anxiety. Like I don't care about playing in front of people. Like I, I'm totally comfortable with that. I've never, I'm usually not nervous or scared. Uh, minus a few exceptions, but man, I can't do it. I'm so scared of recording, man. I, that is like the scariest thing for me is like studio sessions and stuff. Like even my recording my university audition tapes, <laughs> I I don't remember how many takes I took. I was like three tunes, and I must have taken like, <laughs> I don't know. I took a lot of takes of each tune before I was like, okay, mm, okay. I remember after each take, I was like, no, we're doing it again. Or we like stop halfway. I'm like, no, nah, we gotta do it again. So yeah, but recording and hearing and hearing yourself back and and learning from that is important. So is it a natural thing for young musicians to have this? recording anxiety and avoid committing their playing to a project intended for release and maybe delay that until a later age any more thoughts on that 
I haven't talked to anyone about that. Um, I don't know anyone who has recording anxiety. <laughs> or at least I, I like I don't I haven't heard from anyone. Like I no one has expressed that to me um that I know of yet. Uh but I think like as far as committing to projects goes, I think there becomes a certain point in one's musical maturity when they feel comfortable to represent themselves as an artist. And I'm definitely not there yet. But there are people who my age who are definitely there. Uh, I mean, like, tons of them. I mean, Joey Alexander, how young is that guy? He must be, like, my age now, maybe, like, a couple years old. That guy is, like, not just a great young player. There's tons of young players out there who will play circles around me and any adult musician. Um, But Joey is, like, he's got a sound. Like, he is identifiable I love his playing, man. I'm I I love Joey's writing and his playing, and so you can play me a record of Joey, and like usually instantly I'll be able to like mm, Joey, because he's he's mature, man. Like he he's got a sound, he's got a style, and he can he's an artist. Like he's a full he's not just a great player, but he's a, he's a great artist musically, and so I I think that in everyone's musical career there becomes a point where they're technically proficient. They're musically proficient, and it starts becoming more about, you know, how do I want to represent myself? Um, and, dude, you know, I'm, like, so light years away from this. Like, I'm think- sometimes I think about, like, oh, when would I be ready to release, like, my own project? And I'm, like, I every single year I get older, it becomes, like, a year away, you know? So, yeah, I think it's just about where you are, you know, maturity-wise. Um, I still think that sometimes I'm speaking jazz like a second grader, you know, I probably am too, you know, jazz is a language, uh, and there's things about this language that you gotta know. And like, as soon as like, as soon as I think I'm like getting more proficient, there's like, I start learning more stuff and I'm like, well, and that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of this language. It's like, you can't like the masters are, are fluent, you know? And us as students, it's like we keep finding things before we become really fluent. And I, I'm sure the people who are fluent are, are still learning. That's the great thing about jazz, you know. But but I think I think it's a matter of fluency in this language. I think other music genres can be a little bit different. I mean, I don't want to say like pop music per se, because that just sounds pretentious and snobby, because I love pop music. But I, I think the system of language and mentorship fellowship culture and community is is a lot different jazz is very unique in that way and so i think that when i do release my own project as an artist i want to be like way way further in my knowledge of the language first of all i want to be more proficient in just my knowledge of life i mean like i'm a kid right i don't know much about life yet or um you know, so what I have to say isn't really that interesting um, at this moment. So I think that when I do release an, a project as an artist, I want to have more experience musically, personally. When you increase your focus and start spending lots of time on your musical development, what happens in your social life day to day? Yeah, there was a time where I was like doing nothing but waking up, practicing and going to sleep and repeating. I did not, I would wake, I would wake up, I would start practicing till 
like maybe midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and then go to bed and do the same thing. I mean, that's great, but I was very like closed off from a lot of things. I wasn't listening to myself. I wasn't listening to my body. I wasn't listening to people around me. I was not getting fresh air. I was not getting exercise. I was not eating almost at all, really. So it it became self-improvement and self-detriment at the same time. And so I feel like a mixture of both is super necessary. And I find that if I like go, I mean, we live in the most beautiful place on planet earth if i go for a walk out here in the pacific northwest um in the forest or by the water i feel way more inspired and ready to play music when i get up in the morning and i go to the gym i have my breakfast or coffee and i come back i'm much more ready to play music when i was doing that i was like in my pajamas all day Like, I literally didn't get changed at all. I think it's finding a a balance. I think I progressed really quickly throughout that time, though. Don't get me wrong. But I was also, like, I was, I was, I don't know how efficiently I was practicing. Because there's a thing about practicing efficiently and effectively and practicing for a long time. I think that, like, listening to music, like, I listen to music in the car. That's how I listen to most of my records. Just driving around with my dad. Um, learning how to sing or scat solos just like by listening to them when you put your headphones on, um, going out to feel artistic, watching, going to watch live music. That is all practicing and you are improving as a musician that way. You know, it's not always nine to five on the scale grind, which is so important by the way, you know, I'm not dissing scales, um, and technique and, and exercises like that at all, but I'm, I'm saying like, there are other parts to being a musician too. And another and other parts of being a musician are also being a, a good um person, a good friend. That is part of being a good musician too. You know, being a good musician isn't always um necessarily about, you know, your your uh tech technical development. Um, because no one is gonna wanna hire you if you are a jerk. Um, no one's gonna like music is a very raw emotional thing, especially playing jazz music. Like you are so vulnerable up there playing with other people, especially on a bandstand. You are literally giving your most vulnerable self to everyone, to your bandmates, to the audience. You have to do your own emotional and pers- personal work too to to really be a great musician. I definitely would say if anyone's trying to figure out their practicing, Plan out what you're going to practice throughout the day, you know? I I usually allocate an amount of time, like, I'm going to do a few hours of this on the piano, I'm going to do a few hours of this on trumpet. I'm going to go to the gym t- this morning, and I'm going to go tonight. I'll go see a friend. I'll go call a friend. I'll go call, you know, whatever. I'm going to go grab a coffee. That way you have a, a, a really good... I like to think I'm, I'm striving towards a better balance of, of work and life. I'm wondering if you aspire to be a jazz educator or have any other thoughts on teaching and learning in addition to your great insights so far here? I love teaching, man. I I teach, I privately, like I have a couple students um, and I just, I love it. I love it. I, I, I don't know much yet. You know, I'm still like really learning. I love just passing whatever I have on. And like, I love the camaraderie of jazz music. 
um especially with like my friends who are not super egotistical and like have you know egomaniacs like oh man i'm not gonna show you my licks like i love just talking to my friends about different things in this music and they teach me stuff and i learn and i teach them stuff and and like even just teaching students it is like so rewarding and it's just it's just fun for me i love to teach i really do and i one day i would like love to um you know, teach, like, I'd love to teach at the VSO School of Music one day, you know, that's where I grew up learning how to play jazz, and I, I still take lessons there with, with Miles, Miles Black, who is, one, like, probably one of my favorite human beings in this entire planet, um, and so just having that relationship with him since I was, like, maybe 10 or 11, I must have been 11 when I started my relationship, and I'm 18 now, and, and, like, just, I want to have that relationship with someone else because I feel like I owe so much to him and, and to the faculty there um, that I kind of want to eventually, when I'm at that level, give back and, and spread that knowledge and love and passion. Ilhan, I've got a few more questions here. Along with many other things, you do music cover art and event poster design. Any experiences you're down to share about doing that design work so far yeah i mean um i just really like art um i took an art course and i i think it started when i like was taking photography in high school and then i took a film course and then a, a visual art course um i just really like i really like album covers i don't know why like in in my i don't have like i'm at my parents house right now but in my place in montreal i have some like pictures and like artwork of of jazz albums and um I think it can, if like, if you're into it, you know, don't force it on yourself. If that's not, if you're not really hip to that, and that's not what you're into. But if you are like interested in it, it's a really nice thing to do. Um, I did the cover art for um, that Seamus Blake and Brad Turner live album that was released on Cellar a couple months ago, a while back now, which was like so cool. And Corey asked me to do that. I was like, oh my God, like, I can't believe I do it. Like, this is so cool. Um, and I did a lot of drafts for that one. And as a as like a DIY musician or like as a freelancer, especially now, it's like kind of it's it's a it's a good thing to know how to do just to, to help market yourself and to help put stuff out there. It's it's a good it's a good skill to have. So like I I mostly use like Spark Post, like Adobe Spark Post on my phone. I used to have access to Photoshop with my high school, like because we got with the classes I was taking, we got free access to it. But I don't have that anymore. So. Um, I have a lot of other music related expenses. I'm not super ready yet to drop a, uh, you know, some money on Photoshop, but maybe down the line once I get more into it and, and start uh, taking a course in it or something, maybe I will. I, I did the Photoshop thing and I learned how to use it for a while. I'd love to touch on challenges, but go beyond COVID. What are the main things that you and the young music professionals you know struggle with? everyone's struggles can be different and I think are different. I think my personal struggles compared to what my friend's personal struggles are musically, personally, emotionally, creatively, artist, artistically are, are completely different. I know I struggle a lot just with myself and I'm constantly learning to better live with myself, better treat myself, work harder. I can tend to get into these really just lazy moods, especially with COVID, like, and being away from home and not being non-productive and motivation. And, you know, I could go on about things that I struggle with, but I, I would say that, you know, as a young 
musician right now, it's very hard to stay motivated and to feel like what we are all doing is for a greater purpose. Because we can't, I mean, we can't see it right now. It's non-existent. We're very lucky here in BC that um, we have some venues open that are allowing that for that to happen. But I think a struggle lot I had was just my ego. I'm now realizing that ego is just a result of your own insecurities. That's what it is. It's fear of your own insecurities. And so I guess for better words, something that I have worked a lot in my in myself over the past little while, a couple of years, is is to surrender my insecurities and surrender that ego that I had. And and maybe at times still have. And and just focus on music and, and what it means to play music. Like I, I don't think I really realized before how beautiful this thing playing music is that we have. Like it's a privilege, it's it's a gift, it's it's something bigger than all of us. Sharing music with each other, with others, is something much bigger than all of us, you know. So just just learning about this purpose and, and learning about this amazing thing, what music is, I think that's that's something that I'm working towards. This might have happened when you started your semester at McGill or when you auditioned or beforehand, but tell me about how it felt as you introduced yourself to the city of Montreal. My, I, I felt right at home. I love Montreal. I, yeah, I think me and Montreal go, go along together very well. I have a huge passion for coffee. It's like my big thing aside from music. And so um, never a lack of that in Montreal. I just love the architecture. I, I'm huge on architecture. I love architecture that just the city itself the culture the the vibrations the scenery the language um the food oh my god bagels are so good the coffee's so good it, it's amazing man i love it i i don't think i could i, I like i i my parents couldn't fly with me to montreal obviously with covid and stuff so i mean i literally <laughs> my parents dropped me off at the airport and i just flew there got in and just started living right away, which is pretty unusual, but I did it. And I, it, I don't think it could have been easier. I intend to make this the last question for every musician I talk to. And that's for you to tell me about one of the funniest people you've been on a bandstand with. So I can say hands down the funniest guy, the most, I mean, I've played with him. He was actually the drummer on my audition at McGill. His name is Daniel Verdecchia. He is Italian. He is a third-year drummer at McGill, I believe. He's a little bit older, but he's in his third year. And this guy is, uh, like, just the funniest guy I've ever met for the stupidest reasons. He, I, I can't describe this to you if you've never met him, but he is just... I can't give a specific example. Like, a, you need to talk to this guy, but he's just, like, hands down the funniest human being I've ever met in my entire life and the one of the most fantastic drummers I've ever played with. He is incredible. I've done recording sessions with him before. He played on my audition. I love sharing music with him. He is a phenomenal person, phenomenal guy, phenomenal drummer, very loving human being. When you are a, a good person and you create, you know, friendships through music, it, it'll swing harder. It'll swing harder, I guarantee you. Really. Uh, when we play, I, when I play music with him, I feel great. And it's just the sense of camaraderie. And because he's such a jokester and he pulls jokes all the time, it's like you can never have a serious conversation with this guy. Um, <laughs> so not really. I mean, he, you know, a lot of the time we, we, we joke around. So the, the music lends itself to humor and happiness. 
and 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 uh comedy and and just great fun times i actually did a great recording session with with him one of my longtime good friends ben boardman who's a fantastic bass player so it was that trio with uh this fantastic singer named katie george who was originally from calgary and she had moved uh, to Toronto for her undergrad at the fantastic program at Humber College. And I was doing her master's and um, she's a great friend, great mentor to me, a uh, really great person, great human being. And honestly, I can confidently say one of the best musicians I've ever worked with in my life. And so we did this session together and it was so much. I mean, I, I wish I could share these these audio files with you, unfortunately, because it was recorded at McGill by student sound engineers. I can't release this. I wish I could, but I, I just legally I can't I can't release it. But it was just such a fun session. It was I mean, we didn't lock in all the time because distance right with COVID. We were very far apart, which is weird. But the the friendship the camaraderie and 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 the energy just kind of kept us swinging for a while and katie sounded there's a little clip of it on her instagram actually um but yeah she sounded insane she's a, a fantastic wonderful musician i think that's a great place to wrap bill and thank you so much for your time i really enjoyed thank it. you for having me if you like this podcast subscribe to get more from wherever you listen to podcasts and if you really like this kind of thing visit rhythmchanges.ca and check out our music journalism serving Metro Vancouver, BC. Here's how you can support what we do. Visit patreon.com slash rhythmchanges or click the support button from the rhythmchanges.ca homepage or tell all your friends about this podcast and what we do. Rhythm Changes is a Chernoff Music production.